0: Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you have faithfully led led us as we study your word as we uh, looked at the book of Acts and we heard you speak and we learned several of the things that you wanted to teach us through the book of Acts and thank you God that you have now led us into this uh, book, the book of Joel. I pray that you give us wisdom to understand. I pray that you give us of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to illumine our minds and that we can understand what you have written for your people. I pray that you um, guide me this evening as I seek to teach some principles on how to study the book of Joel. I pray that you give us um, understanding. I pray that you give me the words that you want us to hear tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we are making a big jump from the book of Acts into the book of Joel, and because this is such a big jump, I just felt like it was necessary to take an entire uh, message, an entire um, Sunday message to give an introduction to the book of Joel. I, I'm not really going to start preaching about uh, chapter 1. That's going to happen next week. This week, we're mostly just going to be thinking about how to read and how to study the book of Joel because it is such a, such a big jump. It is, it, the book of Joel is so different from the book of Acts. And so I, I think that we need uh, a foundation. We need to establish a, a foundation so that we can understand the book of Joel rightly. So what do I mean by uh, making a big jump? Where for you know for starters, the book of Acts is in the New Testament. the The book of Acts talks about a period of time after Jesus had already come. But the book of Joel is actually was actually written several hundreds. Several hundred years later, uh, before the coming of Jesus, the book of Joel was written particularly to the people of Israel, the covenant nation of Israel, the nation of God. Uh, It is addressed to them specifically. The book of Joel is written in a prophetic kind of fashion. And so, so far, everything that we've been reading in Acts has been narrative. In other words, we've been reading a story in the book of Acts. Someone, Luke, is telling us the things that happened. But when we come to the book of Joel, we are actually getting into prophetic literature. And prophetic literature is very different from narrative. So, for example, you know, just to give you an example of why it is important for us to understand the kind of genre that we're reading... We read in the Psalms that God is a strong tower. He is a shield of refuge. So are we to understand that the God that we worship is an actual brick tower? No. Or are we to understand that the God that we worship is a piece of metal that covers you from, uh, from the, the swords and arrows of the enemy? No. Those, those are metaphors, right? When we talk about God being a strong tower, when we talk about God being our shield and our refuge, we understand that, that, that the author is writing metaphorically, and we gather the meaning and say, oh, okay, so it doesn't mean that God is a, a stone wall. It means that God is protecting us. It means that we can take refuge in him. It means that God protects us from the enemy. And so in the same way, when we read prophetic literature, we need to make sure that we're actually understanding what the what the author intends to say and not just saying, okay, I'm gonna apply I'm gonna I'm gonna interpret every single word here written. I'm gonna interpret it literally. But rather we need to understand, okay, no, hold on. This is prophetic literature. In prophetic literature, there is a lot of um, poems, a lot of poetic kind of writing. The authors use metaphors, the authors use uh, personification, where they where they personify certain things and speak of them as if they were animate. Uh, the author uses a lot of simile. In other words, when he likens something to something else, right? So he talks about locusts and he likens the locusts to an army of a, a real army of people. Um, so anyway, my hope is that after today's message we are more familiar with the book of joel we have a general understanding of the message of the book of joel and our appetites are wet so that in the next month or so that we're going to spend looking at the book of joel that we are looking forward to understanding we're looking forward to seeing what is here in the book of joel that we're looking forward to see what god wants to tell us and my greater hope and my greater goal is that as we study this book We are moved to repentance and we are moved to faith in Jesus and we are moved to awe of God and of his loving and merciful character. My goal is that as we look into this book, we would learn more about our God and his salvation and that would bring us to repentance and faith in him. And really, that is the purpose of all the scripture. In the same passage where Paul talks about all scripture breathed out by God, he says that the scripture is useful to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All of scripture points to Jesus Christ. So even the book of Joel, as we talk about locusts and locust swarms and things like that, we need to keep our eyes open to see how this book is pointing us to Jesus. So, This is going to feel a little bit like you're back in school. Hopefully you had a good school experience. Uh, And if you had a bad experience, then think about something else. Think about the best experience you've ever had and say, this is what it's gonna feel like. Um, And first of all, I want us to talk about some hermeneutical principles. And by that, I mean principles for studying the Bible. And so one of the first things that I want us to understand is that whenever we study the Bible, we cannot just simply read Scripture and then immediately apply what is written in Scripture directly into my life. Why not? Well, because we need to understand that these books in the Bible were addressed. They were originally addressed to someone other than me. There is there's not a single book in the Bible that is actually addressed to Ben. Or Paul is, never writes, Paul, a, a servant of God to the saints in Grace Harbor. Right? That, that just doesn't happen. Simply, we need to understand that the books of the Bible are originally addressed to someone else. And so what we do to understand these books and to apply them to our lives... First, we need to understand what they meant to the original audience. And then in order to apply it to us, we need to, to use a metaphor, we need to build a bridge. And so imagine that the space between the original audience and us is a river. And we need to build a bridge over that river. Now, what happens when we read a passage in the New Testament, for example, the letter to the Ephesians, we say, okay, so Paul is writing after Jesus came. Paul is writing after the Holy Spirit came down upon the people of God. He is writing to the church. He is writing to members of the new covenant. He is writing to uh, people in Asia Minor who had a Greek kind of culture and so once we figure those things out, we say, okay, we live in the church age, same church that the Ephesians lived in. We have the Holy Spirit just as the Ephesians did. We are members of the new covenant just as the Ephesians were. And so the bridge that we build from the Ephesians to us is a, a, a pretty short bridge, right? We still need to account for, for some of the cultural differences. We still need to account for... Um, you know the language and and the 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 separation in time but at least we can build a pretty small bridge but now what happens when we look at the book of Leviticus well the book of Leviticus was written for the people of the old covenant it was written specifically to the people of Israel it was written specifically for people that were under the old covenant the mosaic covenant And so we need to realize, okay, we're not Jews. We're not part of national ethnic Israel. We are not under the old covenant. We didn't live back in that day. So the bridge that we have to build is a lot longer. Does that make sense? So when we apply a book of the Bible, it's like we're building a bridge between the original audience and us. We need to determine what it meant for them, and then we need to determine What the implications are for us the meaning of the book doesn't change the meaning is the same the implications for us are not exactly the same as the implications for them and so when we look at the book of joel we understand okay so joel is a prophet he is one of the minor prophets he is one of 12 minor prophets in fact in the hebrew bible all 12 were lumped together as one whole book and Joel is a prophet that speaks to the people of Israel, and he is mostly, actually, yeah, most of the book, Joel is talking about the day of the Lord. That's, That's really the main theme of the book of Joel, the day of the Lord. And basically, in a really, really summarized way, what Joel is telling the people is this Locust plague that you guys are enduring is actually the day of the Lord. But if you repent and if you turn to God, you will experience the day of the Lord in a way that he is going to restore you and forgive you and dwell among you. And then he talks about, but there will be a future day of the Lord in which the Holy Spirit will come upon all people and in which I will restore the, the, my people. But then there will be an even more future day of the Lord when God will judge all of the nations of the earth and he will bring salvation and deliverance to his people. So in other words, the book of Joel is about the day of the Lord. And so as we look into... Each passage throughout this month and the following, we're gonna start seeing those divisions in the book of Joel, and I'm gonna talk a little bit more about those. Um, I want to, I want to to uh, mention a few, um, a few important things here. A few clarifications. When we read the Bible, like I said, it is written to our, to an original audience. When we read passages about God calling his people back to repentance, for example, that really well-known passage in 2 Chronicles where it says, if if my people who is called by my name would, uh, you know, turn and repent and pray and all that, and then he promises blessings. Well, one clarification that I want to make is whenever he says that, he's not talking about America. Right? We tend... To read our Bibles, oftentimes we read them a little bit me centered or, or my surroundings centered. And so I know that oftentimes when we look at passages like this where you know where the prophet is calling the people to repentance and telling them all of these things that are happening is because of your sin and you need to repent. And if you repent, I will bless you. He's not saying this to the nation of the United States. He's writing these things to the nation of Israel. He's writing these things for the people of God that were under the Old Covenant, which means that then the application for us is not really for this country, for the United States. I, I'm sure that we can find implications, and, and I'm, we will find implications about this country, but the most direct bridge, the most direct Implication for us if Joel is writing for the people of God, and if we understand that those who are in Christ Jesus and are indwelled by the Spirit are now a part of God's people, then we could say that the most direct application or implication of this book is for the church, for us, for the people of God, for those who have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Now, another thing that we need to understand is that biblical prophecy is not fulfilled all at once in a linear kind of way. Biblical prophecy, we shouldn't expect the prophecies in the Old Testament and the prophecies in the New Testament to be fulfilled all at once, all in one moment, and then be completely done with them. <laughs> and I don't think Lucia likes that part. But... Um, let me, let me give you an example to, to show you my point. So, for example, when God calls the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, and he sends him to preach a message to the nation of Israel, he tells him, Go and tell these people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So in this passage, God is calling Isaiah to go preach to his contemporaries, to the people of Israel that lived in his time. And he is speaking prophetically to them. But then several years later, hundreds of years later, when Jesus comes and he sees the unbelief of the Pharisees and of the people of Israel, he actually tells them, Isaiah wrote this about you. But you say, wait a minute, I thought that Isaiah wrote this about these guys. Well, yeah, but he also wrote it about the Pharisees and the unbelieving Jews of the time of Jesus. And then when John, the apostle, sees that there's a a lot of unbelief among the people, he says, well, the prophet Isaiah wrote these things about these people. And then later on, several years later, and in Rome, in in a completely different setting, Paul, like we saw last week, Paul sees the unbelief of the Jews in Rome and he says, the Holy Spirit said about you through the prophet Isaiah and quotes this passage again. But we see how prophetic utterances, they can be fulfilled in multiple ways in different periods of time, right? It was fulfilled with Isaiah, it was fulfilled with Jesus, it was fulfilled with Paul and continues to be fulfilled every time that someone does not believe the message of the gospel. And so, when we see prophecy in the book of Joel, we shouldn't expect for all of the prophetic utterances of this book to be fulfilled all at once. Or to be fulfilled only once and then, boom, we're done. You know, check mark That one is fulfilled, let's move on. No. We need to think of them in in a way of saying, okay, maybe, I'm, I'm using too many analogies here, but, imagine that you're looking at a mountain range well if you see it you know with all the mountains going that direction from my perspective i only see you know one big mountain but what happens if i move this direction all of a sudden i realize oh look it's actually multiple mountains that make this mountain range but then i go back here i'm like oh it looks like one so in the same way when we look at prophecy We might be looking at one prophetic utterance, but when we step aside, we realize, oh, actually, this prophetic word has multiple fulfillments. And that's something that we're going to be seeing in the book of Joel several times, where there's prophetic words that are fulfilled in many different ways throughout many years. So, like I said, the theme... The main theme of Joel is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a day in which God delivers his people and punishes his enemies. The day of the Lord, again, is a day in which God delivers his people and punishes his enemies. The earliest known day of the Lord is when God delivered his people from Egypt. Remember all of the plagues that God sent to Egypt? He sent locusts and he sent darkness and the water turned into blood and there was famine and there was hail uh, coming, falling from the sky and eventually God delivered his people from Israel and punished the Egyptians for what they did. And so from that day on throughout the history of Israel and really throughout history, The day of the Lord is a day of deliverance for God's people and a day of judgment for God's enemies, especially those who are oppressing God's people. Now, Joel throws a spin on things or a twist on things when he actually tells the people of Israel, hey, you see all of these things that you are experiencing? You see this locust invasion that you are experiencing? Well, guess what? This is the day of the Lord. So think about this. The the people of Israel, they always thought of the day of the Lord as a day in which they would be the ones being delivered from their enemies. But Joel is telling them, no, this locust invasion that you guys are experiencing is actually God's judgment on you. And so this should speak to us right away because we as believers can also tend to be overly confident and say, oh, you know, we're good. Jesus died for us, and we're on God's good side now, so nothing can happen to us. But when we read the book of Joel, we realize that anyone who is unfaithful to God can experience God's punishment. Anyone who is unfaithful to God can experience God's wrath. And really, if you're unfaithful to God, you're proving that you're really not on God's side. Maybe you thought you were, but you're in need of repentance. And that's basically what Joel tells him. He tells him, you need, or actually God tells him through Joel, you need to repent. You need to turn to God. You need to render your hearts, not your garments. In other words, you need to to, um, you need to tear your hearts, not your garments, right? When the people of Israel, when they were expressing lament, it was, it was customary for them to, to uh, tear their garments. But God is telling them, actually, I want you to tear your hearts, not just your clothes. And so when we read the book of Joel, when we study it, we need to realize that we, God's people, not this nation, not the United States. We, the church, we need to look into the areas that we are being unfaithful to God and we need to repent. We need to truly repent before God. But then the book turns into good news for, for Israel because this book shows us God's willingness to forgive his people. This book shows us that even in the midst of the disaster that God is bringing upon them because of their disobedience, he is so ready to forgive them. He is so ready to relent from the evil that he, or relent from, from, from his anger, from this disaster he is willing to relent and to leave a blessing behind him for them. And so in chapter 2, verse 18, we see that God had mercy on his people. He became jealous of his land, and he brings all this amazing restoration to them. so when, when he is describing the destruction that the locusts bring, it's a terrible situation. Like with, with, uh, during our men's... Or for our men's breakfast, we read the book of Joel several times. And boy, I was getting tired of reading that really dire situation that the people were in. I mean, it's very, it's just painful to read everything that they were going through. But then when you get to this part, when God talks about the restoration that he is going to bring, when you get to this part when God, you know, tells him, fear not, O land. Fear not, you beasts of the field. Be glad, O children of Zion. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. So we are reminded of God's restoration, of God's salvation. How even the years that that were wasted, even the years that we endured because of our own sin, God's punishment, those are not wasted years for God. He restores those as well when we come and turn to him. And so that is the day of the Lord too. When God brings salvation and restoration for his people, that is the day of the Lord. And then he talks about a future to them, but past to us idea of the day of the Lord when he mentions one of the most well-known passages in scripture in chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old man shall dream dreams and your young man shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does that sound familiar to you? That's what Peter says in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples, those that were gathered, and they start speaking in tongues... And so the people around them are like, are these guys drunk? What's happening? And so Paul tells them, no, 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 these men are not drunk. What is happening is that right before your eyes, the the prophecy that Joel made about the Spirit being poured out on all flesh is happening, is being fulfilled before your own eyes. And so we see how amazing it is that Even though this book is written primarily to the people of Israel, even in this book, we see that God already has a beautiful plan in mind of giving of His Holy Spirit to everyone who believes in Him. In the Old Testament, during the Old Covenant, very few people had the gift of the Holy Spirit. We read that Moses was someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in fact, there is an episode there where God tells Moses, hey, I want you to gather these people so I can also give them of the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking about 72 elders. And he says, I want you to gather these 72 elders so that I can also give them of the Holy Spirit and they can help you lead the nation of Israel. But there is two that miss but they, are, they also receive the Holy Spirit, and they are prophesying. So Joshua comes to Moses, and he's all jealous. And he's like, hey, Moses, these guys that didn't come to the gathering are also prophesying over there. And Moses, is, instead of saying, man, those guys, you know, such bad guys, he says, oh, man, this is a, this is a, a, a paraphrase, of course. But Moses says, I wish that all people would have the Spirit of God. I wish that everyone would have the Spirit of God. And then we see that David is also filled with the Spirit of God. We see that the people that that helped build the tabernacle, they they were filled with the Spirit of God. But the Spirit of God was only with people temporarily in a limited kind of way. But here in the book of Joel, God makes this beautiful promise that in the last days, He will pour out his spirit upon all flesh, upon everyone that believes. And brothers and sisters, we are living in the last days. We are living after this prophecy has been fulfilled. We have the Holy Spirit of God. Everyone who trusts in the name of Jesus, everyone who has repented of their sin against God and turned to Jesus has the Holy Spirit of God. This book also points to Jesus in many ways, but one of the ways in which it points to Jesus is that section in verse 31, sorry, verse 32, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There in Joel, when he talks about the Lord, he's talking about Yahweh, about about God as they knew him in in the old covenant. But when Peter quotes this verse and says, everyone who trusts In the name of everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, he is talking about Jesus. He is making that connection and saying, Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God, and everyone who trusts and calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And so after that beautiful promise, in chapter 3, we see that now Joel turns his attention to a future to them and future to us day of the Lord in which God will gather all of the nations. In this day of the Lord, God will gather all of the people into the the valley of Jehoshaphat, the um, the valley of decision. And in this valley, God will wage war against his enemies. In this valley God will judge the nations. And so in this case we could say wow there's there's a direct application for the United States right there. If this nation does not repent from their sin, they will be in that valley and they will experience God's judgment. And this should be a call for us to spread the good news of salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This should be a call for us to to speak about God's willingness to forgive people, of God's willingness to bring blessing and restoration upon everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And then the book closes, with ultimate restoration for god's people ultimate salvation going uh in verse 18 well actually verse 16 uh, chapter 3 verse 16 the lord roars from zion and utters his voice from jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake but the lord is a refuge to his people a stronghold to the people of israel so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk. And all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come, from, shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land, but Judah shall be inhabited forever. And Jerusalem to all generations, I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion." So I pray and I hope that we have come to understand the book of Joel even just a little bit more. I know that, you know, I, I throw a lot of information out there, but I trust that, you know, having already heard some of the some of what the book of Joel is about, when we go a little bit more slowly through the book of Joel, some of these things are going to connect in our minds. Our our brains are gonna make some connections there. And we're going to be able to understand the book of Joel. And we're going to be able to understand God's judgment, God's willingness to forgive, God's willingness to restore his people, God's willingness to be among us, even by sending his Holy Spirit, God's willingness to save us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. And then that we would understand that there is a future day of the Lord, a future day of judgment for God's enemies, but also that we would live in hope that judgment for God's enemies means rescue and salvation for God's people. And so if we are the ones who call on the name of the Lord, we have the promise of salvation, of rescue, of restoration. So how are, how are we doing on time? Do we have time to just read through the book? Amen. All right, Joel. Joel chapter I just heard one person, but I figure that she was speaking for all of you. All right. All right, Joel, uh, chapter one. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethwell. Hear this, you elders, give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine. And splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn. The ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languages. Be ashamed, O O tillers of the soil, wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate palm and apple, all the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of men. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offerings and drink offering are withheld from the house of our God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from our house from the house of our God? The seed shrivels under the cloths, the storehouses are desolate, the granaries are torn down, because the grain has dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed, because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for you, because their brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness." Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people, their like has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So notice before we before we move on, just notice how This army of locusts, this famine, this drought, these fires that they are experiencing, they are coming from God, right? This army of locusts is God's army against his people. Yet even now, verse 12, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. "'Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, "'call a solemn assembly, gather the people, "'consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, "'gather the children, even nursing infants. "'Let the bridegroom leave his room "'and the bride her chamber. "'Between the vestibule of the altar, "'let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, "'weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, "'and make not your heritage a reproach, "'a byword among the nations.'" Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And so here's God's response, verse 18. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations." I will remove the northerner far from you and drive him into a, into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise, for he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Fear not, you beasts of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness are green, the tree bears its fruit, the fig tree and vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain is as before." You shall know that I am, the, I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no one else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old man shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape. As the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. What are you to me, O Tyre and Sidon and all the regions of Philistia? Are you paying me back for something? If you are paying me back, I will return your payment on your own head swiftly and speedily. For you have taken my silver and my gold and have carried my rich treasures into your temples. You have sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks in order to remove them far from their own border. Behold, I will stir them up from the place to which you have sold them, and I will return your payment on your own head. I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the people of Judah, and they will sell them to the Sabaeans, to a nation far away, for the Lord has spoken. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your, and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Hasten and come, all, your, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up, and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For they I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great." "'Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. "'For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. "'The sun and the moon are darkened, "'and the stars withdraw their shining. "'The Lord roars from Zion "'and utters his voice from Jerusalem. "'And the heavens and the earth quake, "'but the Lord is a refuge to his people, "'a stronghold to the people of Israel. "'So you shall know that I am the Lord your God.' Who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall, shall flow with milk. And all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a mountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom, a desolate wilderness. For the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land, but Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that You'd make our hearts ready to study the book of Joel, that you make us, that you soften our hearts, Lord, and show us our sins, and show us how our sin has consequences, and Lord, that we would be as ready to repent as you are to forgive. Thank you, God, that in your son, Jesus, you provided the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. We thank you that in your son, Jesus, you teach us righteousness. You teach us how to live at peace with you. We thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit, Lord, and that you dwell among us, among your people. We pray, Lord, that as we look into the future judgment that awaits those who are your enemies, that we would have the same heart that you have for them, Lord, and that we would proclaim your gospel, that we would proclaim salvation in the name of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, that as we Look at the world around us and and see how messed up things are and how much hatred there is in your enemies for you, that we would be consoled and encouraged in knowing that you are a just God and that you will, in the end, judge those who mistreat your people. Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to us through this book, not just throughout this month or throughout this week as we read it more, Lord, but really that the, the truths that we learn about you in this series would accompany us throughout the rest of our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.